The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. going to begin the recording in three, two, one. Welcome to Storybrooke Weekly Mirror in Wonderland, the unofficial Once Upon a Time in Wonderland internet radio show, exclusively on poppychuloradio.com, Poppy Chulo Radio pop culture on demand. I am your host, Poppy Chulo. During tonight's broadcast, we're going to revisit ABC's Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Later on in the broadcast, get ready for a spoiler alert as we bring you the hit ABC series as Easter Eggs and Ratings. Please welcome my wondrous co-hosts. First up, all she's got is an empty hole in the ground. It's Jess. Oh, hi everyone. I'll be by my hole all episodes long. Aww. Next up, she's away from her castle and is not expected back for several days. It's Katie Cat. I guess that's right. I guess I won't be back for several days, apparently. Hi, guys. Can't wait to talk about the episode with you. And as long as she's with you, she's ready for anything. It's Priscilla. Aw, yay. I love my intro. Hey, guys. We're going to have a great show. Yes, we will. So let's jump into our recap of episode 1.03, which was titled Forget-Me-Not, and originally aired on October 24th, 2013. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. In a flashback, viewers are introduced to Will Scarlet, who turns out to be the nifty knave of hearts. Will has joined... Robin Hood's merry men and convinces them to steal gold from Maleficent's castle before also pilfering an enchanted looking glass for himself that comes with a hefty consequence. Meanwhile, in Wonderland, Cyrus successfully tricks Jafar and the Red Queen into sending a bandersnatch after Alice, who in turn exposes something the White Rabbit has been secretly hiding. All right, everybody. So let's chat about episode number three, Forget Me Not. What was everyone's initial reaction as they rewatched Forget Me Not? We'll start off with Priscilla. Okay, so if the whole, like, yellow brick road thing, like, the whole CGI thing isn't, like, glaringly obvious in the last two episodes, it is in this one. They didn't necessarily do a good job with it, especially since, like, you turn it around and, like, you see Will Scarlet scenes with the with the Merry Men, and you're just kind of like, well, those look really pretty. What the fuck is going on here? But, like, 
that aside, like we finally get to find out and connect who Anastasia is. And maybe it's just me, but I've always wanted to see Will Scarlet, not necessarily the Knave of Hearts, but I want to see how he interacts with the mothership, how he interacts with Robin. May he rest in peace now. Like, so I don't know. For just for nostalgia's sake, I, I would give this episode uh, like a pretty good rating. I liked it. All right, Katie, what are your thoughts on your initial thoughts on Forget Me Not? This is a great episode. Like, I love the concept behind it and the concept be- behind the Forget Me Not um, thing that they used. Uh, that was fun. And then I did, I love that we got to dig into Will's past and put, you know, a face to this Anastasia, and it was a familiar face and it was kind of a big plot twist. Um, I liked that a lot. And um, I also liked that we got to see Robin Hood in this episode. That was fabulous. And he was the Robin Hood in this episode. He was the Robin Hood we deserved. Yes. I loved him in this episode. And I, oh, it just makes me bitter. <laughs> All right now. Cheers for that. Like, you, were, you worded it perfectly. Bitter Betty's parties of two or something like that, I guess. Jess, what's your initial reaction to this episode? I have to agree with Katie. I really liked the concept of the forget-me-not, but more than that, um, I am a big Alice in Wonderland fan in general, so every time that there's like something, some sort of new media that has to do with Alice in Wonderland, I am all over it. Like It's kind of embarrassing, but I really liked the way that they were able to pull from all these different aspects of Wonderland and kind of enhance them and enhance the characters and make you care about them. Like it wasn't just, to me, it wasn't just a a Once Upon a Time spinoff. Like this show had potential to go somewhere and be its own thing. So I really did enjoy this episode. I thought the use of the characters was amazing. I thought that it was just a really cool, creative way to give viewers something a little bit different. Something that they hadn't seen from Wonderland before, necessarily. I like that, Jess. Jess, you are Alice in real life. Is, is that a compliment? <laughs> yes. Yes. I, was, I thought it might be, but then I was like, wait, Alice followed a strange rabbit down a hole and then kept chattering about make-believe experiences. I could see through, you doing that. And got thrown into an asylum and almost, I'm pretty sure she almost got a lobotomy unless I completely read those subtle procedure clues wrong. Yes, that's your life story, Jess. <laughs> you should be proud. Well, all right. As long yes. as I get a handsome genie out of the deal, all right. Well, there you go. It'll be a, a genie in the form of an ex-boy bander. Looking on the bright side. <laughs> Jeff, we don't talk right about here. that on the air. <laughs> all right. I enjoyed the episode as well. I feel like each episode keeps on getting stronger and stronger. And I've got to say, I agree with the ladies. This is the Robin Hood that we all deserved. And it's a shame that the mothership did not, unfortunately, treat the Robin Hood character as well as the spinoff. That's very sad. But uh, it was great to see a strong... Robin Hood, the Prince of Thieves, uh, here on uh, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. And uh, much like Jess, I love seeing the Alice in Wonderland through the Looking Glass mythos like weaved through uh, 
Once Upon a Time in Wonderland and how they use certain tropes and and key items from the series in unique ways on Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. So thoroughly enjoyable episode, another strong episode, and I'm looking forward to chatting with all of you about it. So before we get into a thorough recap, here are a few reminders on how you can interact with the show via social media. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Mirror. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Alright, so uh, let's start off uh, in the very beginning. With the very beginning of the episode, we start off in a flashback to the Enchanted Forest. And basically, it's a stagecoach heist. You know, it's the whole thing where there's a um, a distraction, and then, you know, people are swindling at the stagecoach, and it turns out that these men are the Merry Men, it's Robin Hood, it's the Prince of Thieves, and we are introduced to... Bum, Will Scarlet, the man who in the future will be known as the Knave of Hearts. And what we were watching, this man, you know, doing his own impression of Spider-Man, was basically Will Scarlet's initiation into the Merry Men to prove that he is a worthy enough thief and an honorable thief to join Robin Hood's crew. What did we think of this opening We'll start off with Priscilla. Just as a side note, like the guy that, that that's talking uh, about the story with Friar Tuck, like that guy's really attractive. What the hell? Like, why didn't we have him as a character at some point during Once Upon a Time? But like all that aside, like I thought it was really cool how you see like this character and like the hood come in and like you just hear like him say one word and you're like, oh, that's Will Scarlet. Like. Uh, like that is the knave and I don't know like I loved him interacting with Robin and this is the Robin that I wanted like I don't know like doing something Robin not a man purse Robin Robin Hood of the Merry Men Robin like dashing and handsome and doing bad for good people like like this is what I wanted like it, it makes me somewhat like melancholy now looking at it after like seasons of like disappointment and now like death it it makes you miss him yeah i agree jess what are your thoughts on the opening i liked it a lot i i can't speak to the once upon a time aspect because unfortunately i haven't kept up with that show dun, However, dun, 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 dun. yes i'm sorry listeners i'm a fraud not really though but that's okay you're canadian alice i i really did enjoy the merry men aspect of it i thought it was a cool way to give 
other characters to be like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like everybody that has read Robin Hood or, or, or watched an adaptation knows who Will Scarlet is. So it's nice to give him kind of a more prominent identification, I guess, than, than Knave of Hearts. And it also, like when you find out why he wants to steal this thing from Maleficent, when you find out the reason that he's doing it, you're like, oh, I'm sorry. Your life probably sucks now. I'm sorry, man. Good grief. Yeah, I thought it was a strong opening as well. It was great to see, as we've all been sort of saying, a uh, a very strong Robin Hood character. I mean, you could sense that in just, you know, the, the couple of seconds of dialogue that he had uh, in uh, that opening scene. This was a different Robin Hood. It's not the Robin Hood that we see, unfortunately, on the mothership on Once Upon a Time. So it's unfortunate that they didn't write him in that way on uh, the original series. But moving on, we are introduced in the present day to uh, Will being a wanted man. There are all these uh, wanted posters all over the place, and basically they are being uh, put up all over the place by the Caterpillar. You know, the cat, well, at least the Caterpillar is one of the people that's like searching for Will, and the reason is because, um, you know, Will has uh, a lot of debt, debts and stuff, and he's he's shaded and, and done a lot of stuff to the Caterpillar, so the Caterpillar is uh, very pissed off at Will, and in this Once Upon a Time in Wonderland universe, besides sort of, you know, chilling on a mushroom and smoking hookah, the Caterpillar is a bit of like a crime lord, a mafioso, a gangster, for lack of a better word, you know, a big-time muscle that's like consistently, you know, squeezing uh, money and uh, debts and... Uh, favors out of people and um as uh, they sort of decide you know should we split up should we not you know because i do have a bounty on my head alice is like no we got to stick together and she just wishes that they could go back in time to find out who this person was that stole cyrus's bottle the genie bottle and uh this is when will says well he knows of something that can help it's called the forget me knot and basically it is a knot that uh can show you you know when you place it over an area it can show you like the last thing that happened there it basically sort of loops that last final moments uh, of time for lack of a better word and unfortunately, finding the knot is going to be a bit uh, difficult because the caterpillar has it. Dun 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 dun. Yes. So before we get into the caterpillar and then that kind of thing, let's talk a little bit about the forget me knot. Uh, Jess, since you're a fan of Alice in Wonderland, uh, what did you think of the inclusion of the forget me knot? I thought it was really clever. I mean, I know that. If something like that actually existed, there would be a lineup of people probably willing to do terrible things to get their hands on it. Or wonderful things. Wonderful things. You never know. But really, I think it would be more like terrible. Oh, okay. Probably homicide or something like that. Because it's just like a really... It's almost that item is almost like a security blanket. The way that they showed it off and the way that they used it or had it used by that character 
but I, I'm sorry, I forget his name, but, um, the way that he was using it was like a security blanket. And so it's dangerous in that way and that it kind of sedates you and, and leaves you kind of unprepared for real life and just not wanting to deal with anything. But also like the reasons that Alice and Will were after it were actually helpful. They weren't looking to kind of be swaddled up again protectively by their past. They were looking to find out information that can help them move forward. So I think it really depends on like why you want to use the forget-me-not and also what you're willing to do for it. Because I think as 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 much as Alice wanted it, if it came down to it, she would not have killed for it she would not have done something that you know was morally reprehensible to get her hands on that knot and I think that it was a really cool it was a cool way to show the differences between Alice so she's smart she's resourceful and she also has a great like moral backbone whereas Jafar and the Red Queen they don't really care who gets in their way they're not they want this item but they're not, like, desperately clawing at their faces to have it. They literally would just rather cut off somebody's head. They're not going to put themselves through that kind of strain. So I think it was a, a really cool contrast in, in both, I guess, teams, if you want to put it that way. Definitely Team Alice, though. She's very resourceful and very smart, and she has not compromised herself to get what she wants. Priscilla, you and I are usually big fans of the villains. What did you think of uh, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland uh, transforming... Oh, look at that. I said transforming because it's Caterpillar. Transforming the Caterpillar into a villainous character and uh, having him be Rumpelstiltskin-y in the sense that uh, the Caterpillar likes to make deals and, uh, you know... Well, he certainly likes to make deals that are in his favor. And uh, he has this whole, like, lair underground, this uh, hive of villainy. Exactly. What would you think of the Caterpillar? It's it's strange, because, like, you, you compare him to other, like, villains like Rumple and, like, who also makes deals. He doesn't stack up in that sense. Like, he's a minor villain. Like, he's villain light diet villain like i don't know like diet villain i like that you just you see him and you're like okay uh, he's interesting at the very least to to see he's kind of like i don't know like is it weird to say like a mob boss like, he is like a mob like, boss yeah like i i just i remember seeing the caterpillar and just being like entranced by like how they kind of made like the face look compared to like the body and like it just it kind of looked creepy but I that was the point and I don't know like I liked the caterpillar like I, I, I kind of all, always felt in Disney's animated movie he's an asshole like he, he's really affronted and really mean to Alice and she's just asking a question so this this makes sense although my one like thing that like I have to nitpick is we saw the caterpillar in like the first episode and like it's really hard to put together the hey that's mine caterpillar to this caterpillar yeah I know right sometimes shows go through a little bit of tweaks and changes from the pilot into like 
episode two and beyond. I think one of the most notable things on the mothership was that Mary Margaret, aka Snow White, was a nun in the first episode, and that obviously changed uh, starting in episode two and beyond. So I guess they were like, well, we need a villain. You know, let's. We usually do a good job of like taking these characters that aren't villains in their original form and transforming them into villains so i guess they were like let's stick the caterpillar in underland and have him be sort of like this racketeering uh, mob boss uh, criminal uh, underlord for lack of a better word no like it's good but is it is it's also weird that i keep comparing it to tim burton's alice in wonderland because especially since they called it Underland, like they they were stabbing themselves in the foot with that, and I was just kind of like, it's not nearly like as bright or poppy, and like, I mean, you have the voice of Snape voicing like the caterpillar there, like it's okay, like it's it's not the best. Again, he's he's diet villain, but it's okay if you're thirsty, like whatever. Yeah. That's true. So they head on into Underland, and so they're trying to make a deal for the forget-me-not. But, you know, and, and and Will is like, you know, I'll double, you know, payment on all my debts and all this kind of thing, but the Caterpillar it doesn't seem interested. And then Alice it, it sort of realizes that he's not in possession of the forget-me-not, but he must know where it is. So... A new deal is struck, and uh, basically that uh, they would go and find the forget-me-not for the caterpillar, and that all debts would be paid in full. And uh, so the forget-me-not is with uh, the monster Grendel in the Whispering woods uh, so let's pause here in, in their story and let's catch up with what's going on in uh, the uh, most villainous tea party in wonderland i just want to say that head that screaming head was so stupid oh yes well, oh my god that's why like i quickly dashed over it <laughs> it was it was everything was comp- it was kind of cool like like the whole steampunky sort of vibe, like in there. But then that screaming head, I started laughing. I couldn't take the 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 threat seriously. Yeah, Underland was kind of like a demented garden party, in a sense. It was it was it was interesting. So over in Jafar's dungeon, we have the Red Queen and Jafar. I guess I don't know. I guess that's where. It, he likes to eat. Uh, I just, I thought that was kind of weird. Like, let's have lunch in the dungeon. And, you know, why not? And uh, he has uh, the origami bird, remember from the last episode, that uh, Cyrus had sent to Alice. And, and basically it said, you know, don't come for me. You know, leave Wonderland. Save yourself. But then Alice had sent the message back saying, you know, no, I am coming for you. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So Jafar has it, and he basically reads it to Cyrus. And Jafar reminds the genie that magic comes with a price, because that's kind of like the once upon a time uh, motto. And um, 
Yeah, it was an interesting scene, and, you know, the, the villains are plotting, and basically they're like, you know, we need to come up with a situation so that Alice uses her wishes, so that, you know, we can now be in control of the bottle, uh, you know, vis-a-vis -vis in control of Cyrus, and so they're going through this uh, big book of uh, Wonderland monsters and creatures and fantastic beasts, and, uh, you know, they're going through it, and uh, they run into the Bandersnatch. And, uh, you know, they uh, come to the understanding, I guess, via Cyrus, that this is a creature that Alice has faced before and fears. So that was interesting. Uh, I thought that was an interesting plot point. You know, having the villains sort of have a powwow and like figure out, okay, which monster should we send to this girl so that we can get her to start wishing? The other monsters that they mentioned were vicious sounding. I was like, shit, like, should have sent one of those. Like, but all of them, like, I, re I remember them from the Alice books. Like, I'm not sure, like, Jess, is that right? Like, because I remember Bandersnatch. Jess, would you like a Bandersnatch to be sent to you? I already have the mystery mini. Ooh. <laughs> I'm good. I'm all Bandersnatched out. Oh my gosh. Jess, <laughs> you're our Alice historian. What did you think of the Bandersnatch's inclusion and like the shout-out mentioned in the beginning? I liked it a lot. I thought that the way that they incorporated the Bandersnatch, the way that they kind of tried to play Cyrus's own love for Alice against him. I thought that that was really clever. I thought that the way that they, you know, decided eventually on the Bandersnatch was really a clever idea because, like, Cyrus is a better liar than I am. That's for sure because I would just be terrible in that situation and I would end up sending, you know, the person I loved some terrible death-defying monster because I wouldn't be able to keep, like, the horror and the pain off of my face. So I think that, you know, the way that, the way that they did it was very clever. I don't think that there is an audience member out there who, at the end of the episode, wasn't like, oh my god, that was amazing. Yeah, agree. Yeah. Look at Jess breaking it down. I like it. So let's catch up with uh, Will and Alice. And so they're heading into uh, the woods uh, to uh, find uh, this, you know, Grendel person who has uh, the forget-me-not. And uh, so, so basically we're introduced to Grendel, who is kind of like a... a uh, I don't know what you would call him. <laughs> he's he's kind of like a, a walking boil. He kind of looks like Quasi. Aww. Yeah, he's uh, he's a piece of work. Um, he's a monster. He's ogre it, light, I guess. He's from Beowulf, though, isn't he? He is. Uh, he is a character from Beowulf. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, he's... Uh, He's not pretty. Uh, maybe Jess likes him. I did. <laughs> oh my god. Would you have tea with Grendel? I would! Especially if he had some chocolate biscuits. <laughs> oh my god. Katie does not approve of this, but what can you do? <laughs> I'm just gonna stay out of it. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, poor man. 
All he wanted was some companionship and to be loved and everything was taken away. And also, it's not his fault that he looks like somebody smashed his head up against the stove while it was on. Well, there's that. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, Alice and the Nade, they thought that they were going to, like, have the upper hand on, on Grendel. But uh, Grendel had his own kind of plan for, I guess, intruders and 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 whatnot because they end up falling into his trap they're knocked unconscious and they wake up in his kitchen uh, uh, where uh, Grendel is like gonna grind their bones and that's how he makes bread Jess would you eat that bread not if I knew what was in it beforehand but what if you like find out after you've like bitten in it and swallowed it I would throw up it would just be everywhere poor grendel <laughs> then he would have to clean that up too then his life would suck even more oh gosh that's so sad poor grendel before we get into grendel let's get into another flashback so we flash back to uh, the enchanted forest and robin hood basically makes will a merry man for life and he explains the code of the merry men. You know, they're not thieves, because thieves only steal for themselves. You know, there's like a, a greater cause, the greater good. And, uh, you know, they basically are, are there to help the poor and that kind of thing. And so uh, they're ready to leave the enchanted forest. But the knave is like, you know what? I know this treasure trove hidden deep in a castle on the Forbidden Mountain. And Robin's like, oh, you know, I, I know who lives there. You know, it's the sorceress, Maleficent. And he doesn't want any part of, like, that uh, bounty because uh, he's very adverse to magic. But uh, basically the knave is like, you know, there's a lot of gold there. And, you know, we'd be able to help all these people you know, with all this gold, and so, you know, we just got to take the gold, you know, forget the magical stuff, you know, let's just take the gold, and so Robin Hood is like, you know what, you know, I might not be comfortable with the magic stuff, and all the danger, and like, fucking with a sorceress called Maleficent, but you know what, you know, all that gold would be, like, great to have, and to help all the people, and so we'll go and do it. And so once they're in the castle, you know, they, they start searching for the gold and, uh, you know, they're, they're like, you know, let's not take any additional items. Let's just search for the gold. But the knave, of course, ignores that warning. And um, it seems like he knows exactly what he's looking for. He finds this cabinet full of magical items and... Uh, in that cabinet, there's a small looking glass that he steals for himself. And so later on that night, after they've uh, stolen all the goodies that they want to steal, they uh, are like, you know, having a powwow uh, by the fire. And the powwow is quickly cut short when the disembodied voice of Maleficent rings through the night air. And uh, basically she's like, I don't care about the stolen gold, you may keep it, but I must warn you, you know, whoever took my missing magical item, you know, there will be hell to pay. And so Robin Hood is, is pissed that someone would disobey his orders and demands to know who it is. The knave remains silent. And, uh, <laughs> you're just kind of like, 
who do you think made the mistake? Like, who do you think? Everybody's looking at, like, at each other, and the knave is the only one that's not looking at anything but the floor. He's a new guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of these people are not like the other. <laughs> Although Maleficent's voice, I'm so happy we got to, like, hear her again, even if we didn't get to see her. Like, that was awesome. So was the little mirror that they chose, too. Like, I I, I liked that whole, like, it, it, if we're going to, like, talk about the CGI, like, the CGI for the castle was pretty nice. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. And I liked, like, the fact that Will, Will's a good thief. He knew, like, to look into the crevices of, like, the walls to see, like, the one brick that's, like, smaller than the others to be able to get the gold. And he knew where the, the mirror was. Like, so, to, I don't know. To see him as Will Scarlet just makes me happy. To get a callback from Maleficent makes me happy. Like, the, the, the flashbacks, I guess, for this episode were really good. I agree. They were very strong. What did you think of the flashbacks, Katie? At least up to this point to where, uh, you know, we're wondering, well, at least I should say the Merry Men are wondering who could have stolen the magical artifact. They're really great. Like, this is one of the episodes where the flashbacks are really fantastic and done very well. Um, I mean, I mentioned it before, and we've all mentioned it, how I just love Robin Hood in these flashbacks. This is the, when I think about Robin Hood, this is the Robin Hood I think of. Um, the thief, you know, the guy who has his band of merry men and they're pulling um, uh, schemes to get money away from the rich to give to the poor. And, you know, he had a lot of really great dialogue, especially with Will in this episode. And it reminded me why I originally fell in love with um, John McGuire's Robin Hood or even just Robin Hood on the show entirely. Um, but we won't get into, into you know, what happened after that. But, uh, <laughs> but I just, I really appreciated that this episode really focused on um, giving Will a backstory. And then I loved how they also brought in Maleficent. Um, we got to, you know, kind of um, revisit her castle. And um, we got to... Um, hear her voice and um it was just fun you know it's a callback to the mothership i guess you can say again which is cool so i like how they brought that in they bring stuff in from the main show just to kind of give viewers of the main show a little bit of a you know i guess you can say easter egg or um shout out so yeah very true so uh, let's catch up with alice and the knave and so they're trying to break free and uh, they see Grendel is, is kind of like talking to himself uh, at the table. And uh, they see that he's using the forget-me-not to watch the uh, image of a happy couple in the cottage that they're in. And uh, the knave like realizes the monster is watching his own past. And so the knave tries to distract this uh, this quasimodo-ish looking man long enough to break free so he begins to question grendel you know what are you watching you know who's this woman and uh you know it seems like with each question grendel keeps getting more and more pissed and uh, he he sort of starts talking about losing love and how it can change a person you know obviously talking about himself and so he's like grendel you know 
the only way to move on is to let go of the pain. You need to leave the past. But obviously, uh, the monster does not want to move on. And he's had enough, so it is dinner time. And uh, while all that's going on, we have uh, the Red Queen and Jafar in, you know an underground lair, you know, discussing the Bandersnatch. And so we find out that the Bandersnatch is the type of creature that once it gets your scent, it is relentless in hunting you. And it's basically going to kill you, you know, because it's it's like it gets this crazed, uh, you know, urge to hunt you down. And so they make their way to the beast. You know, Jafar comments that uh, the Red Queen seems to be more than meets the eye and that the Red Queen is evasive. And, uh, you know, and, and, and Jafar is, like, trying to, like, I don't know, I guess he's, like, trying to get to know her a little bit and, like, try to get under her skin in a sense as well. And so when they find the, um, the Bandersnatch... They they give it a whiff of the origami bird thing, and uh, just that smell alone sends the beast off to find Alice. Although you would think that it would also send the beast off to find Cyrus, and maybe even Jafar, since they're all touching it. You know what I'm saying? Like... Yeah. How did it know? Like, hand wave this all and just say magic. Yes. Smell the lady. Only smell the you know the lady, the female chromosomes. Don't smell men. (laughs) Smell that pungent Alice smell. Yeah, that was it. Was interesting to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, I I I liked the that the callback to the paper crane that was made. That that was. That was nice. And throughout it, too, like, you mentioned, like, if she'd eat the bread that was made. But, like, after all of the episode, you really think he was eating people? Like, you really think he was going to hurt them? Because I don't think he would have. I think he just tied them up to get them out of the way. I agree with you. I think, well, at that moment, we didn't really know what was going on. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? He just looks like a horrible creature. He looks like the type. Yeah, but he... He really is just kind of like eating pheasant and reminiscing about past memories with a forget-me-not. Yeah. Speaking of that, Alice uses her wishes to set herself free. But not in that way. She uses the gems as uh, like a cutting tool. And, uh, you know, she... uh, you know she breaks free and she breaks will free as well and uh you know they they make their escape you know the na- the knave hesitates you know he he's like determined to get the get me not and uh, unfortunately grendel you know confronts them there's like a struggle but you know they manage to get to the front door only to find and usually, if this was the mothership, I would say something like Granny. But there is no Granny on this show. So, plot twist. But only to find a pissed off Bandersnatch on the other side. Which it looks like, like, you know what it looked like? It looked like the possessed, demented boar from Princess Mononoke. I thought it looked like the boar from. Hercules. That too. Oh yeah. Yeah, it, it just looks good. like a boar. So Alice couldn't put the Gladden Gladiator. She shut the door. But uh, unfortunately, the Bandersnatch does 
bust through. And Alice, you know, she's like, I am familiar with the Bandersnatch. And she quickly comes up with a plan. She tricks the boorish beast with an illusion of the past using the forget-me-not and uh, uses it as like a, like a lasso type of thing. And uh, it, it incapacitates the monster as it corners Grendel, knocking it to the ground. And um, the knave appears by Grendel's side. And bing, bam, boom. Uh, they, the Bandersnatch is, uh, gets a sword impaled inside of it, evaporating the beast into nothing. At that moment, the Red Queen and Jafar observe the Bandersnatch's mate dying, and the Red Queen explains that this particular beast uh, mates for life. And uh, since this beast died, it means that Alice maybe has used a wish to kill her Bandersnatch. Jafar disagrees, saying that if a wish had been used, he would know. And, uh, I thought that was interesting. And, uh, yeah, so that was an interesting sort of statement by Jafar, I yeah, think. Yeah, like, how would he know? Maybe but because he's magical, so it's sort of like, not to compare him to Rumpelstiltskin on the mothership, but Rumpel has said before, you know, oh, you know, I know when magic is in my realm, that kind of thing, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe he can, yeah, like, sense it. Hashtag magic. He sense disturbance in the force. Yes. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Disney That's exactly what it is. I felt so bad for Grendel at this point because they mm-hmm. fucked shit up for him. Like his house is completely like in ruins now because of the stupid Bandersnatch, and he doesn't even get to like see his wife in the Forget Me Not anymore because the Bandersnatch's butt is where she should be. Like <laughs> the Bandersnatch's butt. Like <laughs> there's they they ruined it for him. Like I don't know. I, I, Damn I felt you, pity for the mm-hmm. Yeah, but before we catch up with Grendel, we have Jafar, you know, basically being pissed the frack off because of, uh, you know, wishes not being used and whatnot. But Cyrus is happy. He smiles, and he reveals to his fellow prisoner, that prisoner that's in a uh, cage right above him, that his plan worked. That he basically tricked Jafar and the Red Queen into picking the Bandersnatch because he knew that Alice could defeat the Bandersnatch as he was the one who taught her how to conquer this particular beast and and her fear, you know, with the Bandersnatch. Yay. So back at the cottage, the monster... Grendel does thank the knave for saving his life, but then, you know, he he looks through the knot, and uh, as uh, Priscilla said, you know, his wife is not there. It's a bandersnatch booty, and uh, he explains that he lost her a long time ago, and that he stole the forget-me-nots from the Red Queen so that he might see his wife again, and then the Red Queen cursed Grendel with his current form for his crime and that he no longer has any need for the knot and gives it to Alice and the knave and so Grendel is there you know Alice and the knave did not help him fix his house after ruining it with the bandersnatch so he's there in his broken kitchen and uh then all of a sudden, his little quiet moment of like, what the hell am I going to do next, is interrupted 
by Jafar and the Red Queen with their sass. And uh, they persuade Grendel into telling them who defeated the Bandersnatch. And uh, they promise him, oh, you know, you're going to see your dead wife again. You're going to see your dead wife again. You know, just tell us everything. And he was like, it's a girl. It's a woman. It's a man. She called him the Knave. And uh, so... He's like, you know, you're going to let me see my wife now, right? And he's like, oh, yeah. And they killed the man. Who did not see that coming? Like Jess. Jess, you didn't see that coming, right? No, I saw that coming. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it was actually very impressive, you know, from a, a standpoint of pure villainy, because they really don't need him anymore. His usefulness has expired. Not to mention, like... The reason he is a monster is because of the Red Queen, and she's so blasé about it, too. She's like, hey, you're as pretty as I left you. Like, just... I know. God, like, these, these people are assholes. Like, if, you'd, if you didn't think they were villains before, which you really should have, like, this... This should clinch it for you. They're both horrible people. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe, like, he's so willingly... I mean, I know he, I guess I can understand maybe why he so willingly um, gave up the information, didn't second guess, you know, that Jafar and the Red Queen, who are known for uh, their magic and killing people, uh, would give up the information. Um, I mean, he spent however long, I mean, we're supposed to assume that he spent a long time looking in that looking glass, or sorry, the forget-me-not, um... For his wife, I mean, I guess given the promise that she would come back, maybe he would, especially by people powerful enough to possibly, maybe he thought that they could possibly bring her back, but it's still kind of like, I don't know what you thought the outcome was going to (laughs) be. Especially, I mean, are the rules of magic known? Like, I no, but that's where she said, like, or he's like, you can, can you bring her back? And that's when the Red Queen goes, like, anything that we can make possible is going to be possible. Like, yeah, I, I think the way she kind of looks sort of manic, like, mm-hmm. it, it, it swayed him. He's just kind of like, OK, you had the power to turn me into this. And now you're going to have more power. Like, you can give me my wife back. Like, and this is also yeah. a guy who hasn't talked to fucking anyone in forever and <laughs> has just been living in his house talking to himself. <laughs> I cannot blame him for just being, like, really gullible. Yeah, it's, it's very true. It's a good point. <laughs> Aw. Rest in peace, Grendel. Maybe. <laughs> Jess will not be able to have tea and crumpets with you. Aw. It was a nice thought, though, Grendel, buddy. Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> That's too funny. All right. So, uh, let's... Before we get into the final flashbacks, because we do have the surprise, let's continue on with present-day Wonderland. So, we have Alice and the Knave, and they head on to uh, where the bottle was buried. Remember, it was like the, the peas, and the Tower of the Tigers, and the Windmill, and the Dandelion. Just love the Dandelion. Indeed. So cute. Yeah. Oh, I love the that, did he eat something before? He's like, oh my god, this was delicious. What did he eat? The peas, didn't he? The peas, oh, yes. Okay. I was 
like, what are you, did you just eat part of the dandelion? Those, that, that shit's toxic. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. <laughs> I totally missed that line. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I was waiting for this podcast just to find out. That's too funny. And so, okay, so they place the forget-me-not over the um, the area of uh, the hole. And they see brr, 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 the white rabbit retrieving Cyrus's bottle for the Red Queen. And so they finally see that the rabbit has been a double agent and has been two-timing them. And, uh, yeah. So uh, they find out that the rabbit has deceived them and has betrayed them. And Alice, of course, is devastated that the white rabbit would do that. And, uh, yeah, they have figured out that the white rabbit must be reporting everything that uh, she and the knave have discussed to the Red Queen. And so Alice is like, you know, we need to pay the Queen a visit. But before they do, of course, they have to settle the debt that the Knave has with the Caterpillar. But the ca- the uh, the Knave uh, decides uh, to, uh, I don't know, maybe, you know, he finally has some honor in him. Or, you know, he's like, you know. I don't want to give the knot to the caterpillar. And Alice is like, what the hell? Like, you need to do this. Like, uh, you know, all your debts and all this kind of stuff. But he's like, no, you know, because we need to destroy the knot for good. Because the caterpillar is going to use it for evil. You know, no one should have uh, this much power with the forget-me-not. And so he ends up burning the forget-me-not. Goodbye, forget-me-not. Like that, Aww. that that was surprisingly noble of him, considering he doesn't have a heart. That that's really noble of. I I don't know how the fuck he chose to do this. Like I, it, it would come from somebody who has courage, who has like empathy and caring, and you don't have that if you don't have a heart. So it's just shocking to me, and makes him somehow more of a good person because he doesn't have that sway. But he still makes that decision. And knowing also that like this the bounty is still on him. He's still going to be a wanted man. But he'd rather do that and get rid of the forget me not than have more terror being inflicted. I guess he really saw a lot of himself in Grendel. Yeah, that's true. I like that. I like that parallel. And uh we have the caterpillar. And uh, the caterpillar gets a visitor. It is Jafar. And uh, we have Jafar entering his tent. And, uh, yeah, Jafar is basically there because he wants to know everything that the caterpillar knows about the knave. Everything. That's not going to be good. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's... Never a good thing. (laughs) I'm glad that he turned out to be a good guy, because can you imagine, like, him walking right in, I have your forget-me-not shit. Like, (laughs) that convenient timing. Good job. I agree, yeah. 
So, okay, let's discuss the rest of the flashbacks. So after the whole thing where Robin's like, hey, you know, who stole it? And everyone's like, hmm, I think it's the new guy. So we have uh, the knave sneaking out of Robin Hood's camp, but Robin Hood uh, is... 20 steps ahead of him and stops the knave in his tracks and he's like I know you stole the magic and he's like why you know why did you do it you know and he's like starts ticking off all these reasons and he's like oh okay it must be a woman you know it must be love and uh, Robin Hood declares him unfit and uh, you know you know that's an unfit uh, reason to break Robin Hood's honor code and he's like you know you are a thief you know you are not someone of honor and you're a person that's only in it for yourself and uh robin hood dismisses the knave and he's like you know you'll suffer maleficent's wrath maleficent's wrath on your own and so the knave is officially kicked out of uh, the merry men foreshadowing though like he's just kind of like if you mess with magic, like, it's going to come back to you. Like, let let your decisions be on your head. And I'm like, oh, that's going to come bite you in the ass later on. A couple in, in, in the mothership, Robin. I feel bad. <laughs> Should have taken that's your own advice. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And we get a final flashback where the knave returns to his cottage and uh, to his uh, Anastasia. There was a, a brief scene earlier in the episode where we saw him leaving the cottage, but we didn't ever saw who it was. And uh, we now see who Anastasia is, who his Anna is. And it turns out to be... And this is a moment where I would say Granny on the mothership. But it is not. It is the Red Queen herself. And uh, so Anna is the Red Queen. The Red Queen was Anna and all that kind of thing. And they have uh, this uh, looking glass. And uh, the two lovers use the looking glass to open a portal to a land far away from the Enchanted Forest. You know, a land where they will be happy, they will be together, they will be in love, and uh, they will be, you know, the happiest that they could possibly be. They're going to get away from all their troubles in the Enchanted Forest, and they're going to go to a brand new place. So next stop, Wonderland. And silence among the group. <laughs> uh, it was that shocking. Did everyone see this coming? No. Uh, I mean, well, when I first watched it, no. <laughs> <laughs> Katie's watching it again. She's like, I had no clue. <laughs> I, yeah, when I first, I remember when I first watched the show, I was not expecting that. Like, maybe I had like this little feeling that maybe it was her or, you know, why are they keeping it so hidden? It's got to be something major and maybe it is the Red Queen. But I remember when I first watched it and I had no idea, it was still shocking. Um, 
and it still is to a degree watching it, you know, re rewatching it. Because um, her personality was so different. Exactly. Like she, she was bright and bubbly and Exactly. She comes out in this pink dress and she's got her hair down and she looks, you know, she just looks younger and she looks more, you know, and like in love, she looks so different than what we see now. I know. That's how Jess dresses present day. <laughs> I actually do have a dress like that, and I'm ashamed I had a feeling. It was not my choice. Oh. <laughs> I was I about to say that dress looks like little Bo Peep. <laughs> Jess Bo Peep. <laughs> One of these days, y'all. I'm going to get rid of that dress. Oh my gosh. Send it to Katie. <laughs> Oh my gosh, please no. <laughs> Good grief. I loved the twist. I thought, I did not see it coming the first time around. I loved it though. I, I just, it was like, it made sense. And we first heard the name Anna Anastasia with Silvermist in the previous episode. And so, you know, for at least an episode, we were like wondering, who is this Anna? Like, who's this woman and for it to be the red queen it, it was just perfect i think yeah <laughs> i kind of figured that it was like that but it's because like i really like the red queen so when you see him like talking to the girl with her back turned and she just kind of like mumbles i'm just like i remember that back and i remember that voice anastasia's the red queen so when it comes out the very end she's like well i'm like Yep, I knew it. I'm glad. My, I, like I was, I was dancing the victory dance of being proven right. Like when I first, first saw this, and seeing it again just makes me remember when, like, I, I saw an interview once with the people who created like Frasier, and they said that for every single one of their characters, they ask how will they react or respond to another. Like, what sort of relationships tie these people? And with the Red Queen, we'd never seen her interact or talk about the knave. So it left an emptiness. And I think that this like kind of fills that spot like of how the Red Queen interacts with this character. I like that. Great insight from Priscilla. Thank you. Yes. Jess, what about you? What are your thoughts on uh, the Red Queen Anastasia surprise? <laughs> I was shocked the first time I saw it. I was like, that is a brilliant twist and for whatever reason it just made me feel for Will so much more because this wasn't your regular heartbreak this was either she conned you or he literally had to watch the woman he loved turn into a throne stealing monster in front of his very eyes either way I mean it was pretty tragic and shitty and delicious <laughs> You know, she 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 loves watching her characters, especially like nice, handsome ones cry. So, <laughs> I, I can't even lie about that; it's all true. I think in her mind, she wants to save them, or she wants to like pet them on their head like a puppy and be like, "It'll be okay, baby. It'll be okay." <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you laughing because it's accurate? Probably, probably. Okay. <laughs> I've never met someone that damaged besides myself, but I don't think that counts. Aww. <laughs> now I just imagine <laughs> Jess late at night stroking her hair and saying, It's okay, baby. 
She does. Aw. Brittany is your red queen. <laughs> Good grief. Alright, so now it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player, the character that impressed you the most, and why. And, uh, I'll be nice. Since Jess wasn't here for the first two episodes, she was, uh, lost in a rabbit hole. I'll let you pick your MVP first. So who, so who was your MVP? Who impressed you the most in this episode and why, Jess? Alice. Alice, because she was able to use the wishes in a really sideways way of using them. She didn't actually use a wish and put Cyrus in danger, but she was able to use the wish to free herself and Will from their, what is the word I'm looking for? From their predicament. There you go. But without actually, I thought that that was really smart. She is a really resourceful main character, and I'm so glad that, you know, as much as it sucks that the show didn't get renewed, I'm so glad that we got to see her for the time that we did because she's strong and she's intelligent, and I think that that's really admirable, and they wrote her so well. Mm-hmm. I like that. I agree with that. Katie, who's your MVP and why? Okay, I'm going to choose Robin Hood. Does he count? (laughs) Yeah, he counts. Okay, I'm choosing Robin Hood because this is the Robin Hood I wanted. And he had some really great, you know, things he said. And I loved their little ventures and stealing from the rich and stuff. And this is just, this is the character that I wanted from Robin Hood. And I love that we did actually get an episode of that in the spinoff of all things. I yeah, like it. didn't have enough room for him in the regular one. You know it. <laughs> oh, Shade for days, but you know it. Like, they just they just didn't have time for him. Yep. <laughs> I approve. Uh, Priscilla, your MVP and why? Will Scarlet. Because you see him from this, like, bright-eyed, innocent, well, as innocent as you can get, like, Will Scarlet and the Merry Men to just rosy cheeked and in love with this girl named Anastasia to kind of a bitter Betty in and of himself like this one to turning a, turning it all around in the end and just choosing to burn the forget me not like Brittany has mentioned it before in a, in past episodes but this guy flips on a dime and like you have so many emotions that like are portrayed in this character like he's buried he's good that is the will ter- that is the will we deserved in fucking wonderland like again wonderland treated robin and will so much better than the mothership did for any of you people who like are listening to our podcast and like haven't given like them a shot like at all like look back at those episodes and then look at these characters and realize they they could have done better with them. They could have done better. And they are better in this episode. And that's that I love Once Upon a Time. I love y'all. But you guys fucked up with these two. Well, damn. All right now. And I'm going to give my MVP to... Grendel. For Yay! two seconds, I thought you were going to say Granny. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Shout out to Granny. You know, you may not be on this show, but we still love you. 
But yeah, I'm going to give it to Grendel because I feel like the character made such a strong impression. I mean, not just from like the physical looks, but also his his arc. I mean, he was a very sad character. And, and uh, once you sort of get to know his backstory, you just realize that you know, this isn't a monster, this isn't a villain, this is a character who unfortunately is just filled with all this sadness, and, uh, you know, everything that he did was motivated by love, and unfortunately, you know, the, the things he had to do, you know, ended up pissing people off, and, uh, you know, he ended up having a very sad fate, so, uh, Rest in peace, Grendel. You get uh, my MVP for this episode. So let's get into our rating of the episode. So we can rate the episode on a scale of 1 to 10 mushrooms. And you may use the point system if you feel that uh, it's necessary. And of course, if you find the episode to be exceptional... It should be greater than 10 mushrooms. You may grant it a golden mushroom. All right. So we'll go in the same order. We'll start off with uh, Jess. What do you rate this episode? Seven mushrooms. I just really liked it. I think it has a almost a fairy tale esque feel that I think, you know, pervades throughout the entire season. And I think that this episode showed a lot of cool things about each character, not necessarily their moral high ground, but it did a great job delving into each character and it made you care about characters like Grendel, whereas other shows may have tried that, but just they weren't up to the task of that. And so I find that it was a very emotional very fulfilling episode. All right now. So just like the episode, but she gave it a seven. She gave it a C. So that's interesting. That's a 70. Correct. A 70 is a C. Oh, wait. How do you guys grade in America? Is that an A in Canada? Very horribly. No, no. That would be Grading like... Grading in America is horrible. That... Wow. I'm so sorry. I would give it like a... B. Okay, that would be like an 80. So that would be like an 8. Okay, because like a 50 is a pass here. So oh, a 50 that, is a failure be... here. You gotta get a 60. That's a D. Yeah. Yeah, no. A 50 is a... It's generally considered a pass here. There are some programs that have it, some that don't, but yes, no. I'll, I'll, I'll give it 8 mushrooms. I didn't realize that I was giving it a C. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> it passes. So in Canada, it would get seven, but in the United States, it would get eight. I love it. <laughs> Katie, what's your rating? Uh, I'm going to give it eight and eight. I'm going to do the same as Jess, because I thought it was a great episode, too. I loved the inclusion of the forget-me-not. Um, I loved... Um, that plot twist at the end. I love seeing Robin Hood. I love the mention of Maleficent. Um, I love Grendel a lot. I really liked his character. Um, it was just, it was a really great episode overall. Um, there are some things that I didn't like and like, like I did for the pilot. I can't like place 
what exactly it was that didn't make it, you know, like a 10 for me, but I still really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very enjoyable episode to watch, and they kept up the quality of the other ones. So, yeah, an eight. And eight mushrooms. Okay, so eight and eight. Will we make it a three-peat, Priscilla? What's your rating? 7.5, if I have to give it something. Like, it's a passing, but, like, it's above a passing, but it's not necessarily an eight. Like, I don't know what got me, like, less enthused about this episode. If it was, it like, maybe it's that, like, I kind of figured that Anastasia was the Red Queen, or and, like, the caterpillar was like kind of diet villain and i don't know like the the machinations between like the red queen and the and jafar weren't like as great as it has been the, the last two episodes we didn't get to see enough wig changes for to like shout out to britney like we didn't get to see enough wig changes from jafar and Adam, and, and the CGI was terrible. We got to see the yellow brick road sort of thing again. <laughs> that Anytime they pan out or zoom out, it just looks hinky. Like, it looks a little weird. And not in the good Wonderland-y sort of way. But in a, w- we did this in CGI class, like, sort of way. I, I don't know. Like, 7.5. It's okay. Forget, uh, I, I, I'm giving it that because I liked Will and Robin, though. They were awesome. Okay. So I will give it eight and a half mushrooms. I like the episode. It wasn't as strong as the last one, but I, I liked everything that I saw. I enjoyed the flashbacks. Anything with Maleficent makes me happy. Uh, Kristen Bauerbenstraten is just fantastic. And uh, this was still when Maleficent was a little bit more wicked and and evil and that kind of thing before the uh, Queens of Darkness arc on Once Upon a Time the Mothership. It was really good. I enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, A Stronger Robin Hood was a welcome introduction or reprisal i mean that was great to see and uh the whole thing with the bandersnatch and uh grendel was really interesting to see as well so overall i thought it was a really solid episode not the best not the worst but certainly more on the good side than the bad so 8.5 from me All right, so it's time to get a little spoilery. Let's dive into some Easter eggs featured in this week's episode of Once Upon a Time in Wonderland and the Once Upon a Time television universe. This is an official spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Check out our official Facebook like page by visiting facebook.com slash storybrookweeklymirror. And uh, we're going to start off with the ratings for this episode. When this episode originally aired on October 24th, 2013, it was viewed by 4.38 million viewers. And as far as some Easter egg uh, scoops, the title card featured the forget-me-not replacing the O in uh, once, which I thought was kind of cool. I love when they use sort of uh, props and stuff to replace some of the letters uh, in the title. And uh, the episode, of course, features uh, 
characters from the Robin Hood ballad. We have Robin Hood and his Merry Men. We see Friar Tuck and Little John as well. And uh, we also see the evil fairy from the Sleeping Beauty fairy tale. We have characters from Aladdin, including the Sorcerer and the Genie. And uh, we have, of course, characters from Alice in Wonderland, such as Alice, the Knave of Hearts, Caterpillar, the White Rabbit, and then characters from the sequel story through the Looking Glass with the Tweedles, the Red Queen, and of course the Bandersnatch. Now, two of the creatures that the Red Queen names from the Magic Spell book include the Mome Wrath, which is depicted in a drawing as a three-headed creature with sharp teeth, and the Sarlacc, which is a beast capable of digesting its victim over a millennium. The Momrath is a creature mentioned in Through the Looking Glass when Humpty Dumpty says, A wrath is a sort of green pig, but a mome I'm not certain about. I think it's short for from home, meaning that they'd lost their way. The picture is an altered version of this illustration by 16th century Italian naturalist Ulysses Aldrovendi from his book History of Monsters, which was published posthumously in 1642. Wow. Yeah, which the original illustration shows a two-headed creature that is half lion, half goat. In the show's version, the creature's heads have been replaced, turning the creature into three-headed monster that is half boar. And the Sarlacc is a fictional creature from the movie Star Wars Episode (laughs) 6, Return of the Jedi. The illustration seen upside down is not actually a Sarlacc at all. It's an illustration of a walrus by the 16th century Swedish writer Olas Magnus from his 1555 work Historia de Gentibus Spententrianalibus, also known as a description of northern peoples. Very well, interesting. That's a pretty shitty description of northern peoples. Well, there you go. One of the pages <laughs> contained is an upside down version of the Seal of Citri, an illustration from the Lesser Key of Solomon, a spell book on demonology published in the 17th century. Citri is a demon described in the book as a great prince of hell who reigns over 60 legions of demons. The opposite page contains a transmutation circle, which is believed to help an alchemist focus their energy to change one item into another, such as lead into gold. Another page shows the tree of life from Kabbalah. The symbol represents as as a series of divine emanations, God's creation, the nature of revealed divinity, the human soul, and the spiritual path of ascent by man. Two pages, uh, opposite of the Mom Wrath and the, another one opposite of the Tree of Life, contain symbols for alchemical processes. And several pages contain characters from the reconstruction of uh, the mysterious Emerald Tablet, which is one of the pillars of Western alchemy. And... Uh, also, one of the book's passages is part of a Latin poem, Eustanus Intrinsicus, by the 12th century Latin poet Archipoeta, and uh, it's, uh, it's a poem that, it's sort of a satirical poem that confesses his love for drinking, gambling, and women, which, 
why not? <laughs> so okay. it sh it shows that you know they sort of really went into like creating this book and like having stuff that looked very mystical, alchemical, and uh, magical. Yeah, like yeah, all of that work into that book, like that's awesome. I hope somebody got to keep that like as a prop, like for their home, because that that's a lot of work into that. I agree. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other small Easter egg has to deal with shooting. The exterior of Will and Anastasia's cottage is a redressed version of the set used to film the exterior of the Mad Hatter's house in the pilot episode, Down the Rabbit Hole. The most notable changes are the addition of a roof over the entrance to the dwelling and new windows. However, the thatched roof, the pattern of the wooden boards, and the distinctive holes and markings on the walls are the given away. The same set doubled as the Miller's Cottage on the Mothership in the episode The Miller's Daughter, as well as Snow White's Hideout Cottage also on the, mother the Mothership from the episode The Evil Queen. Oh, interesting. Hmm. I don't know. That's, that's cute. Like, we made this set, we will use the shit out of it, and somehow some way, in some form later another show on primetime TV is going to do the same shit. They, mm -hmm. they took a lot of time using making that damn cottage. I agree. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Storybook Weekly Mirror in Wonderland. Visit the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download this episode and many more. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychuloradio.com slash archives. You can download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through iTunes. Just search for Storybook Weekly Mirror in Wonderland and subscribe. Please like us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash storybookweeklymirror. You can also like Poppy Chulo Radio on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Help support Poppy Chulo Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychuloradio. Email us via contact at poppychuloradio.com with any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chulo Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychuloradio.com. Co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night. Good night, Have a magical guys. evening, guys. Good night. Good night, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for tuning in. Join us every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific throughout the summer for a brand new installment of Storybrook Weekly Mirror in Wonderland. Good night, everyone. <laughs>